Good morning, FCBC Wallet and friends. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's do this one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today is Easter Sunday, the watershed event of the Christian faith. Because Jesus is risen from the dead and is alive today, he has the authority and the final word over sin, sickness, and every single one of us. On Resurrection Sunday, several women who were followers of Jesus went to the tomb where he was buried to anoint his body in anonymous and sorrowful devotion. The Bible tells us that angelic messengers delivered the shocking news that Jesus was not there, but he is risen. As we are worshiping in our homes today, one might walk by the church parking lot, look through the green gates, and see that the Mac is completely empty and there is no one to be found. However, the same timeless truth that astounded the women 2,000 years ago anchors our attention, affections, and all this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. As the famous hymn declares, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. That declaration of hope in Christ is even more relevant today as we persevere through the COVID-19 crisis together, one day at a time. Before we worship the Lord through singing and the preaching of God's word, I want to bring some announcements to your attention. Number one, we are continuing to pray together in two gatherings on Wednesday nights, the English prayer meeting at 8.30 p.m. and the youth prayer meeting at 6.30 p.m. On behalf of the English congregation, this has been a wonderful midweek highlight where God continues to connect our church family to one another intergenerationally, and our Heavenly Father is definitely answering prayers. I encourage you to click on the links in the digital bulletin or in your emails to participate this week. Our COVID-19 relief team is continuing to collect donations. Currently, the most urgent needs are supplies for our healthcare professionals, such as surgical masks, gowns, N95s, and fabric masks. So far, we have donated to 13 medical facilities through our own healthcare professionals and will continue to do so for those that are in need. Drop-off hours are Sunday, 12 to 2 p.m. and Wednesdays, 10 a.m. to 12. Please email relief at fcbcwalnut.org to schedule drop-off or to volunteer. If you want to give towards our relief efforts, please give online and designate it towards Compassion. In the midst of all the changes, we have not given much attention to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. This annual offering goes to support the church planting, disciple making, and compassion ministries of the North American Mission Board, and we have a church goal of $35,000. In light of the current crisis, we know that finances can be difficult for many of us, so we ask you to pray, and if you are led to give, please donate online and designate the offering accordingly. Thank you for your consideration. Now please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the resurrection of your son Jesus together this morning as a church family virtually. We thank you, Father, that because Christ is risen, our sins are forgiven. And because Christ is risen, we will rise one day by your power into our glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth to dwell with you forever. So Father, we pray this morning around our homes, Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that is done during this time. Father, as we sing, we would sing from our hearts. That as we pray, we would pray with deeper trust and surrender to your will and dependence upon you. And as we hear the preaching of your word, that you will call us to belief, that you would save us through trust in your son Jesus for today and for eternity. Father, I want to pray, Lord, for all of us as we are navigating through this COVID-19 crisis. We pray, Father, for our families and the relationships that you would bring about reconciliation, helping us work through conflicts as parents and as children, as husbands and as wives in our homes intergenerationally. Father, that we would exhibit your love as we continue to be in this quarantine. We also want to pray, Father, for those of us, Lord, who might be on furlough, who might have been laid off, whose finances are being stretched. Father, that you would provide for our needs. God, help us to look to you during this time. 
We also pray finally, Lord, for our health. God, as we're all staying at home, Lord, may we be protected, Lord, so that we wouldn't be carriers and we wouldn't also pass on the COVID-19 to others. But we pray, Father, for those of us that are sick, God, that you bring healing as well. Lord, that you would also bring uh, comfort, Lord, to our hearts, Lord, if we have loved ones and people we know that are sick. And finally, Lord, for those of us that may have lost loved ones, whether nearby or far away, we pray for your comfort. And we do indeed look forward to that day when you will come back for your church and that you will give us resurrection bodies like your son Jesus. Father, help us to hope in you even more now as we navigate through this COVID-19 pandemic. Lord, be with us as we gather and worship you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. You know, on a regular Easter Sunday, I would have greeted you, Christ has risen, and you would have responded, Christ has risen indeed. But this is not a regular Easter worship. For many of you, this is the first Easter worship you celebrate in your private home. You see, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed everything. The way we relate to each other, the way we work, the way we live, the way we grocery shop, and the way we worship. How do we make sense out of this crisis? Today, I want to invite Jesus to speak into our crisis. In John chapter 11, a crisis rooms over the household of Mary and Martha because Lazarus, their beloved brother, has died. And Jesus speaks into their crisis. And in the midst of crisis, Jesus points us to the glory of God. The first thing Jesus said was in verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let me lead you uh, through the reading of the context in verses 1 through 16. I want to invite you, if possible, with a cell phone or looking at the screen, we'll be able to read together in participation of the worship as we listen to the message from God. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister mother. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And this, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, Jesus points us to the glory of God even in the midst of a crisis. In verse 4, he reminds us that this death doesn't lead to this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But it did lead to death. Lazarus died, but it was a physical one because Jesus foresees that he will raise Lazarus from the dead. So he says it doesn't lead to death. In verse 6, he reminds us that for the glory of God, he purposely delayed for two more days. Well, it is for the glory of God because a delayed response points out that Jesus is not merely the great physician but Jesus is the Son of God. He raised Lazarus from death, and the disciples will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And in verse 7, also for the glory of God, he proceeds with a plan to respond to the crisis by leading his disciples to go to Judea. And the disciples said, don't go because the conflict is escalating with the religious leaders. It's not worth it. But Jesus chooses to go anyway because he is going there to glorify the Father by raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, this is not the first time Jesus speaks into a crisis. In the same book, John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples ask about a man who is blind from birth, whether this is the man's sin or the parent's sin that he was born blind. And Jesus answered that it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Meaning, that God might be glorified in this blind man when Jesus opens his eyes. And it is for the glory of God. And here, in chapter 11 of, of, of John, he points us to the glory of God in the midst of a crisis. And for what purpose? In verse 15 says, And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe so that you may believe, so that you may believe that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that he is the Son of God, and he is glorified by raising Lazarus from the dead, because only God can do that. You know, the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. In John chapter 17, verse 1, let us read together, if possible. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and that the Son may glorify you. Jesus glorifies the Father by his submission to the Father's will to accomplish the plan of salvation for mankind through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He glorifies the Father. But the Father also glorifies the Son by sending an angel to strengthen him in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying and pleading before the Lord to spare the cup, but he submitted to the will of the Father. The Father glorifies the Son through Pontius Pilate's testimony that Jesus is actually innocent. The Father glorifies the Son by seeing the salvation of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. The Father glorifies the Son by tearing apart the temple's veil to see the completion of the salvation that men and women today can go directly to God the Father and be reconciled through Jesus' death on the cross. The Father glorifies the Son through the confession of the centurion who saw all this happening and say, He is truly the Son of God. The Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. In the midst of a crisis, Jesus points us to the glory of God. You know, when we are in a crisis, our natural instinct is for self-preservation. And we quickly go into the survival mood. You know, panic buying, hoarding, every man for himself. So we keep physical distancing, masks, drinking waters, rinds, bread, and some, even, even some going through some anti-Asian discrimination for some of you. But Jesus reminds us that in the midst of a crisis, yes, we do experience all these emotions and fears and anxieties, and we do need to make preparations, and we do need to be careful in terms of how to live our daily life. But remember that even in the midst of a crisis, as God's followers, look for God's glory. Where is God in all this what is God saying to us today? You see, in the crisis, God gets our attention. We may not pay attention to God when things are okay, when things are smooth. But in a crisis, we begin to ask, where is God? What, is, what are you doing, God? How can I find God? Atheists, church dropouts, or Christians, we all begin to pay attention to God. And it is in the midst of crisis that God reminds us to let God be God and let men be men and let women be women. You know, plaques has often been, seen, uh, been used by God to remind God's people to take God seriously, 
to fear God, to prioritize God, to obey God, to honor God. A very familiar passage in Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen, that we often recite during this season of crisis. Let's read together. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. It is in the midst of crisis that we begin to see God as God and men as men. We see God as the mighty God, and we acknowledge that we are dependent on God for everyday sustenance and everyday living. So when we call upon the name of the Lord and humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways of, without acknowledging the Lord's name, God will hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal the land. John Piper has been credited with this important quote that he often says, and it is often quoted, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. This is a good reflection that resonates with the Westminster Catechism. The first question, what is the chief aim of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And yes, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When we glorify God, even in the midst of coronavirus, we are most satisfied in Him because we can be who we are meant to be. We can live a gospel-centered life. And together as a church, we can build a vibrant church of disciple-makers. We can fulfill our calling to be light and salt of the community. We can optimize our resources as a church. And when we do all these things together in the midst of a crisis and pay attention to God and glorify God, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. We are so grateful to see our relief team that is being formulated so that we can live out a vibrant church who love passionately, who live authentically, who give generously and go courageously. And many of you participated in there because we want to glorify God, even in the midst of crisis, even when we are fearful and anxious. And with all the precautions and common sense and exercise, all that need to be exercised, we want to participate to glorify God. And many of you participated individually. You saw masks and give away them. You donate imperishable goods, uh, food items, you donate N95 masks for hospital staff, you love your neighbors, you cook for those, those who are sick, you care for the seniors, you have family with young children. I want to thank you so much. Because in the midst of crisis, we acknowledge that there is the glory of God that we need to seek together. And Jesus points us to the glory of God. And even Christian medical personnel, volunteers, to work in COVID-19 world when others try to shun that place, caring for those who are infected in the name of Jesus, having all the protection, protective gears as much as we can and exercise all the common sense that we know. But many of them choose to serve those who are most needy in a time of crisis. And even when the government rolled out the stimulus package with the CARES Act, the CARES Act stands for Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security for Nonprofits, where churches like us are qualified to apply for that. You know, from a stewardship point of view, it is wise. You know, it is our money. We fund it, and we should get some out of it. But you know what? When the pastors and deacons meet together, we say no. We say, no, we should not apply. We should not compete with other businesses who are really struggling, furloughing their workforce. We should not compete with other churches who have no reserve and no resources for the rainy day. And by God's grace, and by God's grace and by the wisdom of good stewards in our finance, finance committee, 
we have some reserve put aside for a rainy day just like this. And with that, we felt we should not compete with them and allow them to have the priority to apply for that. You know, I'm so proud of our leadership team because it is more blessed to give than to receive for the glory of God. And we have a spiritual mandate to care for our neighbors and be light and salt of the world for the glory of God. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of a crisis, Jesus speaks to a crisis and says, remember the glory of God. It is for the glory of God, and we live for the glory of God. Secondly, in this passage, Jesus speaks the second words into the crisis. Jesus said to her in verse 25, 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The second word that Jesus speaks into the crisis of Lazarus' death is Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You see, it is a statement with a question. Do you believe this? The question is there to make you and me to think deeply. I want to invite you to read together with me again to look at the whole context before we expound on the passage. Verses 17 to 27. Please read together with me. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews has come to Mother and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Mother heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mother said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mother said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In the midst of a crisis, Jesus speaks into the crisis with his powerful words. You know, in the midst of a crisis, mother has lost her footing. She came to Jesus almost with panic and regrets and somewhat frustrated and even a slight hint of accusatory tone that Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it is in the midst of some doubts and concerns and wonders and fear that Jesus answered with a powerful statement that I am the resurrection and the life. I want, to, I want you to pay attention to the statement. Jesus is not saying that he caused resurrection. Jesus is not saying that he brings about resurrection in Lazarus. He's saying that I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Life is in me. I am the creator. I am life. Jesus is saying that resurrection is in me. I am the living God. I am resurrection. So Jesus is not calling on a higher authority to bring about life in Lazarus. Jesus is not an agent. He is the highest authority. He is the living God. He is life. And eternity begins with Jesus today because He is life. John chapter 17 verse 3 reminds us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have Jesus in our hearts, that's eternity. Eternity is to believe in Jesus, the only living God. Yes, we will live to see death. But you know what? In death, we will see eternal life. Jesus reminds them, that and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, only if you believe in Jesus Christ, the living God, 
the, and, the res, and the resurrection and the life. Only then can you encounter eternal life, even if we die today. You know, death has haunted us since Adam and Eve, and we are enslaved by death. But Jesus speaks into our greatest enemy, death, and say, back off. The sting is taken out. The bite is still there. The threat is still there. But the fatal sting is taken out. I wonder how many Easter services have you celebrated in the past years? Maybe 10, 20, 25? How many teachings and sermons on Christ is the living God have you received? Do you believe this? After all the teachings and after all the experiences of Easter services in your life, do you believe this, Jesus asked? You know, oftentimes in the time of crisis, when the disciples follow Jesus, Jesus will confront them and say, men of little faith, why don't you believe? Men and women of little faith, why don't you believe? Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus continued to speak into our crisis. The third speech, the third speaking that Jesus is speaking to us is Jesus weeps for us. In verse 35, just a short, simple phrase, Jesus wept. Now, what was the context of that simple sentence, Jesus wept? Verses 28 to 37. Again, I want to invite you to read together as we participate in the worship. Verses 28 to 37. When he had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where mother had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they follow her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus speaks into the crisis. Jesus wept. He wept. Two powerful words, a short sentence, a pronoun, and a verb. He wept. But it speaks powerfully of God's Compassion. You see, here Jesus speaks through his tears. No words came out. The tears are his silent words flowing tenderly down his face, reminding us that God loves us. In verse 33 says, Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit and greatly troubled. Those are strong emotions the emotions of being deeply moved was so strong that it conveys a sense of indignation, of anger, that it should not be like that. That this is not the right thing. It should not be like that. Jesus wept. Who was Jesus weeping for? He was, he was not weeping for Lazarus because he will raise him from the dead and he knew it. He was weeping for us, brothers and sisters, because we are as frustrated as Mary, who says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What does that statement stand for? If you had been here four days ago, my brother would not have died. Now, now it's too late. Why don't you come earlier? We have told you. We said news to you. What happened? Frustrations like that probably also came to us in the midst of a crisis. What happened? Is it too late? 
In verse 33, maybe many of us feel like the Jews who accompany Mary to meet Jesus, because in verse 33 says, "When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved." And in the midst of a crisis, oftentimes we mourn, we are sorrowful, just like anybody else, because we are overtaken by grief. The loved ones and friends and neighbors come and grieve together. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept because we face death. In verse 34, he said, "Where have you laid him?" They said to him, "Lord, come and see." And it is with that last statement, it is with that last answer from the people around him that, in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept because, in verse 34, when he asked that questions, "Where did you lay him?" and that. They can only invite Jesus and come and see. See, everybody can only point you to the burial ground in the midst of death. Putting in today's term, Rose Hills Carnation Lawn, Lot One One Seven Two. Come and see. It's all you can see, because Lazarus cannot come to you. He is dead. To see Lazarus. You need to go to the burial ground, and Lazarus can only live in your memories because he is dead. When they told Jesus, "Come and see," it is tantamount to saying, "Come and meet death," because he is dead. What you see is death. It is so final, and Jesus wept. Jesus wept because sin and death has overtaken us. Taken us by the throat and choked life out of us. Jesus wept because people are under the bondage of sin and death. People wept because we struggle, we struggle, and we are so helpless in the face of death. Jesus grieves for us who are under the bondage of sin and death. Jesus wept. And yes, in the midst of a of a crisis, we can see the glory of God. We begin to pay attention to God, but you know what? God's heart is for us as well. He cares about us. Jesus wept for us. And then finally, finally, Jesus speaks into a crisis. Jesus speaks life. Jesus speaks life into us. Verses thirty-nine to forty-four. Verses thirty-nine to forty-four. Thirty-eight to forty-four. Let's read together. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "Take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days." Jesus said to her, "Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God?" So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me." I knew that you always hear me, but I saw this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." In quick successions, Jesus speaks. Into our crisis, Jesus speaks life into our crisis. The first phrase that Jesus speaks in this passage is, "Take away the stone." In verse thirty-nine, and you know what happened? That's a natural and logical consequence of bringing life into Lazarus. You need to take away the stone, the stone that blocked the entrance to the hole that Lazarus was buried in. But guess what? With all the requests from the sisters that Mary and Martha and say, "Come, you should have come earlier. If you have come earlier, then my brother would not have died." Even with those invitations and even with those requests from Jesus, that when Jesus asked to them to take away the stone, it was Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Don't do it, Jesus." 
you will not bear with the odor. The odor of death is stinking. Don't do it. Do not remove the stone. You know, isn't it interesting that with all the plead before Jesus to come and bring life into Lazarus, now it is the same person, the same sister who said, do not do that because he has died for, two, for, for four days. You know, to bring life into death, you need to take away the stone. Jesus speaks to the stench of death. He stared down the power of death. But there's a stone blocking the way. There's a stone at the entrance. You know, the stone can be something very useful because stone is solid, stone is cold, stone is hard, and it prevents people from seeing what is inside. It prevents people from entering what, to go inside the cave. And sometimes we, we are like, like a, a rock. Sometimes we are facing the invitation of Jesus. Sometimes we are, we are you know, uh, in, irresponsive to the invitation of God by showing a, a stone, refusing to roll away the stone before us. It is cold. It is hardened. You give cold shoulders to God. You show hardness of God stubbornness of God and not willing to budge and not willing to submit to God's will. And you know what? You do that. You use the same attitude to people that you prevent people from coming near to you by showing cold and hard piece of rock, unresponsive to people's invitation. But Jesus said, take away the stone. You know, today I want to invite you to take away the stone. Take away the stone that block your path to God. Take away the stone. Take away the pretense of being cold and being hard. Your rejection of Jesus' invitation. Take away that and open out and allow God to come into darkness and into the cave of death and bring life into it. You know, sometimes by having a stone before people, by keeping a stony face before people, we feel that we can push people away because when they come too close to us, we are afraid that what is inside will be revealed. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus knows what is inside. Jesus is God. He knows what is inside. You must well open up. You must well open up and invite Jesus to come in and say, Jesus, come in. I need you. Come in. And when they have rolled away the stone, in verse 43, and Jesus begins to call out to him with a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He calls out to Lazarus, come out, Lazarus. And when Jesus calls out like the way he created the heaven and the earth, let there be light, and there was light. So when he called out to death and said, loosen your grief and back off, death retreated and new life emerges. You know, Jesus had previous, previously brought life to other people. He brought life to Jairus' daughter back to life from her bed. He, ra she, he raised the widow of Nain's son back to life. And now he raised Lazarus from death. And Lazarus obeyed the Creator, our Lord Jesus. He obeyed Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And it was that loud voice that echoes through the ages that when we heard and believed, we became children of God. And that voice continues to call out to you. Would you hear and believe and respond to Jesus' calling when he says, come out? When he calls your name, respond to Jesus. And verse 44, then after he came out with linens stripped on his feet and hand, and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. When death is conquered, there is nothing else to control you and manipulate you. There is life. So Jesus asked them to release him and let him go and live. 
Let him go and live and love and bless and grow and mature and multiply and inspire. The bondage of death is taken away. Then we are free to live for Jesus. And God can bless you with the fullness of life. And you can be yourself and you can live life and live to the fullest. Now don't get me wrong. Death is still an enemy, but a defeated one. Death is still interrupting our lives, but the sting is removed. The fatal blow is neutralized. And whatever it does to us today, it is merely a scratch. It leaves no lasting marks because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die because we shall rise again with Jesus. In the COVID-19 pandemic, new babies are still born. There are some who are infected and others who are not infected. We can't explain it. They may be in the same cruise ship, but some are infected, others are not infected. There are some who recover, there are others who succumb to it. Those who recover will die again someday. Those who are not infected, they will die someday for different causes. New life born will grow up, grow old, and ultimately Someday they will die too. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, though he died, yet shall he live again. Let me summarize my message to you today in this phrase. Jesus emphasizes, empathizes with our fears in the midst of crisis and empowers us to live by faith and not by sight. By seeing the glory of God in the midst of this crisis. Jesus empathizes with our fears in the midst of crisis and empowers us to live by faith and not by sight as we recall the sayings of Jesus in the midst of crisis, that He is the resurrection and the life. Let me give you three applications today. Number one, believe. I believe. Believe in Jesus. See, the highlight of the narrative is to believe. In verse 15, Jesus said that he will go so that the disciples may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And in verses 25 to 27, and Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes, mother believes in the future resurrection. But Jesus said, I am the giver of life. I am your creator. I can raise Lazarus even today. In verse 40, Martha objected to take away the stone sealing the tomb. And Jesus said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, Lazarus will rise again. Believe. And in verse 42, Jesus prays to the Father for the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. That when Jesus prayed to the Father that Lazarus will, be, will rise again, the others who are witnessing that will know that God sent Jesus through incarnation into the world to die on our behalf on the cross, to take our place, to take our penalty, so that the righteousness of God can be imputed in their lives. Believes. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You know, in verse 45, in verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. There were others who do not believe, but many, many choose to believe. That is the message today. In John chapter 20, verse 31, reminds us of the theme, of the purpose of the Gospel of John. Let's read together. But this are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Believe. That's the purpose of the Gospel of John. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing Him, you may have life in His name. And today we want to invite you to believe. We want to invite you to trust in Jesus and to walk with Him. And secondly, because we believe, then we live. Now I know how to face death 
then now I know how to live my life. You see, our living always follows our belief. The way we believe is the way we live our lives. Now, we have seen the glory of God in the midst of a crisis. I live for the glory of God. I live with faith in Jesus and confidence in God's word. I live in the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer fears and anxieties. I live like someone who believes this is not the end until God says it is the end. I live in a belief that God is sovereign and He reigns in crisis. I believe and therefore I live. And thirdly, because I believe and I live, I want to follow Jesus. I follow. I want to follow Jesus because Jesus is the risen Lord. He has risen and He has risen indeed. And therefore, I want to live a gospel-centered life because there is hope in Jesus that we can be a vibrant church of disciple-makers, that we can follow Jesus, our Master, that infected or not infected, life or death, hardships or prosperity, we will follow. You know, in 1997, when I first went back to Asia as a missionary teaching in Singapore Bible College, and barely six months into my ministry, I came back from a very intense teaching in Myanmar in the summer. And I developed double vision. Even there, there was constant blackouts in those years. And the light bulbs in my room was like 30 watt. I asked for a higher wattage so that I can see more clearly. But that's the highest they can give when it is constantly having blackouts. I, I taught long hours. I prepared. I, I marked the papers. I was preparing late into the night. And in the second week, I developed double vision. So when I came back to Singapore, I went to see a specialist. And when he asked me all kinds of standard questions, did somebody hit your head? Did you have an accident and things like that? And therefore, you developed a double, double vision? I said, no, none of that. I was just, you know doing my works and, and which has worked very intensely and therefore I have, I, I have this double vision. I don't know why. And it was a very interesting way he responded to me. He said, okay, just to make sure, just to make sure without any explanation. He asked me to sit on the, on the chair and it, he put two cotton bud into my nose, in two, and then it numbed uh, after he tried out that it was safe. Then he inserted something into the nasal area and I can feel it. He took up something. Then, at that moment, light bulb lights. He was trying to do a biopsy. He was suspecting that there might be a tumor pressing on the, on the visual ner nerve, and therefore I developed a, a double vision. He just wanted to eliminate that possibility of a cancer tumor in there. He didn't tell me anything. He just said, come back one week later but I suspect cancer. So for that whole week, I kept the secret to myself. I don't want to worry my wife and my children. I was new in Singapore, barely six months into my mission endeavor, and then this, and cut short my ministry and cut short my life. I was like, you know, barely 40 years old. But by God's grace, one week later, I was able to have a, a clean bill of health. But I remember in that whole week, I look at everything in light of death. I was looking at the sunset and said, this might be the last sunsets, a few last sunsets that I will see. I better enjoy it because I may not enjoy it anymore. I look at my life and my ministry and my family and I wonder how much can I enjoy them? How much can we journey together? See, when I see things from the perspective of imminent death, that's how I live my life. Gloomy. Planning for the exit. Sadness. And I was not able to live. By God's grace, I gone through that period and God gave me health. God allowed me not to have the tumor. And I continue to live until today and continue to live for Him. And same for you too. In the midst of a crisis, if you are overtaken by fear, by, by the threats of death. How do you live? We can only live as if we are dying. But because we believe, because we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, 
So we live. We live because even if we die, that He will raise us again in eternity and to spend eternity with God the Father. And it is with that belief that I will live and I will follow. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This morning, may I ask you, do you believe this? If you believe this, act accordingly. Live and follow. If you have not believed in Jesus, I want to invite you to roll away the stone. Allow Jesus to come into your heart. He knows exactly what is inside. He wants to come in and bring life into your life. He breathes life into you and allow you to live and to follow Jesus. Would you do that? Would you do that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you today in the Resurrection Sunday, in our respective home, we come together to worship you as our living God, as the Lord of resurrection and life. And it is through this belief that we are able to live accordingly and able to follow you. We pray that, Lord, you will lift up our spirit. You will allow us to be empowered to live for you and to walk in the midst of a crisis, to be a blessing to others, to glorify God, because God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. May you be glorified in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand in your respective home, stand together in respect of God, and receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God be with you. Have a blessed Easter Sunday.